Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching the tail end of the Australian Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we get into today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. I do want to discuss Bobby Lee on Joe Rogan. If you guys don't know, Bobby Lee appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast for the first time, I assume, I guess. Um, I don't recall an episode of Bobby Lee being on the Joe Rogan podcast with Joe Rogan being present on the podcast. I don't remember the last time that that happened. I'm sure it happened back when, you know, Rogan was back in L.A. back in 2010, 2011, back in those years. Uh, But recently... Bobby Lee has been missing on the podcast. So it's great to see Bobby Lee on this podcast. It was great. I really did enjoy my time while watching the podcast. Obviously, they get into some talk about COVID and they they discuss um, the reasons as to why Bobby Lee should move to Austin, which I'm like, okay, that's there's no need for me to really partake in that or, or for me to really care about it. But they did try. They did discuss other things that I thought were also very important, which I'll discuss later in the podcast. But overall, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Bobby Lee's just a cult personality kind of figure. He's a guy where most people love him. I do too. You know, Bobby Lee's great. You know, who doesn't love Bobby Lee? Um, Back from Matt TV, back in those Matt TV days, whether you're a fan of Tiger Belly or even now with Bad Friends, you know, I mean, who doesn't like Bobby Lee? So I will discuss Bobby Lee on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, The clips are also really good as well. I think there are certain clips of of Joe Rogan that he posted on on his YouTube channel in terms of Bobby Lee's love for Star Trek uh, some Hollywood rejection, rejection stories that Bobby Lee had to face and go through. Uh, so yeah, overall, I'll discuss that. Uh, I'll also discuss the Oscars announcing their categories uh, or announcing the nominees for their categories, I should say. Uh, a few snubs, a few surprises. Um, I'll discuss the snubs, a few snubs that happened, whether in, in regards to whether it, it was in Poor Things with Willem Dafoe not being nominated for Best Actor, uh, Leo DiCaprio not being nominated for Best Actor and Killers of the Flower Moon, a few others, obviously the, the, the elephant in the room or the one that's the biggest snub, according to the internet, is Margot Robbie not being nominated for Best Actress and Greta Gerwig for Best Director. For, for, for Margot Robbie for Best Actress, I didn't watch Barbie, so... Again, uh, I'm not a guy that you should go for in this opinion or for this opinion, but I feel like with with Margot Robbie, it's often the same character just repackaged in a different movie where I feel like with Margot Robbie, she just plays different variations of this New Jersey girl, Jersey short kind of girl with this Jersey accent. And that's sort of the running theme with Margot Robbie. I don't know if it's like that with with Barbie. I'm, I'm, I might be mistaken. But I do feel as if it's very one note. So if you've seen one Margot Robbie performance, I feel like you've seen all of them. And, and that's no disrespect to Margot Robbie. It's just it is what it is. Um, so, again, I don't know where this sort of. Appreci- maybe not appreciation, but I don't know where this sort of unbridled support comes from with 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 her performance in Barbie, you know, especially when you tie into the fact that a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a sexist a smear campaign against women. I mean, that's that's the, that that's what Twitter is saying, which is horrendously wrong. I mean, it, it, there's a best actress category for a reason. 
other women have been nominated for this award as well. I don't know if I would consider this a sexist smear campaign, smear campaign against Barbie. All right, there have been other women nominated for this same role. Again, the category is for best actress. I don't know if I don't know if it's it's sexist to 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 say that Barbie not being nominated for best actress or Margot Robbie not being nominated for best actress is sexist. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, I don't know. It's just the, the Twitter picks the weirdest hills to die on. And, and again, as we all know, Twitter is not a good basis to, to predict what's going to happen in the future or the average consensus of what people's minds are going through at that particular time. So uh, I will discuss that as well with the Oscars announcing the nominees. I was going to discuss the New Hampshire primary, but again, like we already, I mean, what is, what is there to say about it? that's already hasn't already been said before right what am i going to talk about in terms of the new hampshire primary that hasn't already said been said before there's nothing that i can really add to the conversation in terms of the presidential election i know i i say this is the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole but at the same time like i'm gassed out by it i'm tired of of this being the case you know Again, I'm not a Nikki Haley supporter. I'm not a Trump supporter, but I'm I'm just it just it just feels as we're as if we're just going through the ebbs and flows of things, you know. It feels as if this is just the same song and dance over and over again. And at some point, you got to realize, okay, he's the nominee. Just go to March, fast forward to March, make him the 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 nominee for the Republicans, and let's just run with Biden Trump again. It sucks, right? I don't want that to happen. But it's if that's the case, then that's the case. I don't want that to happen. I think both options are horrendous. But again, I don't want to really talk about the New Hampshire primary. So we'll 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 lay off politics for today. I feel like people are, are gassed out by it. I feel like people are too too inundated by politics and by political talk recently. That if it brings me no joy in discussing it, then why bring it on to you? You know. So yeah, we'll only talk about these three things, and obviously I should have mentioned that we'll be we'll ta- be talking about tennis as well. Uh, and if you guys don't know, Danielle Medvedev beat Hubert Hurkacz seven six seven four two six six three five seven six four in five sets. This was a good match. I'm not going to say that this was the best match of all time, and I won't say that this is the best match of the Australian Open. I won't go as far as to say that, uh, but this was a pretty good match. Again, we still have a lot more matches to go through. Uh, this is not the be-all, end-all, and I, I really dislike when people say this is the best match of the Australian of the Australian Open because if that's the case, then that's not putting the Australian Open in a glowing way. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I just fail to think that having two six foot five counterpunchers playing against one another constitutes as a great as one of the best matches of the major. I, I fail to identify that with that, and I don't think that that should be the case. But overall, this was a good match. Uh, you got to give credit to Daniel Medvedev. Obviously, you got to give credit to Daniel Medvedev for the win. Uh, I feel like Daniel Medvedev did really well in times. Um, you know, getting that first set uh, to to getting that first set in a, in a close way is just impressive to see. You know, who knew that Daniel Medvedev could really be able to br- pull that out of him in that first set, especially when you see his recent losses to better competition like Djokovic and Alcaraz. But overall, that first set was great. I mean, it was very competitive. Both players did really well. Uh, I felt like Medvedev was more aggressive at times compared to that of, say, Hercatch. Uh, that tiebreaker at 4-2, or the 4-2 tiebreaker, 
where Medvedev was just able to go to the net and just be more aggressive and just get her catch to make callous, callous mistakes was just amazing. That was sort of the running theme with, with that first set, but also at times of that last set as well. Uh, we would see Medvedev really be more assertive when it, when it came to the net. Um, the hold, and now on the flip side to it with her catch, the hold to make a two love in the second was also really good because that featured a great rally for Hubie. Uh, there was a tweener being in, uh, involved in the mix, a smash at the end of it, just amazing, amazing play by him. Really shows you how he, her catch can really take command of the court when need be. And again, that was one of the few times where I saw her catch play where I'm like, okay, there is something to it. You know, this is this is not 2021 Wimbledon. You know, this is an entirely different dynamic to it. Uh, he's definitely progressed and changed and developed his game since then. We're and we're seeing it slowly but surely. But I feel as if this match was a culmination of all the improvements that we've seen so far from her catch's play. Um, now the break to make it four three. Uh, Daniel after the law went long in the fifth. To me, when I, when I see that play, I, f- I felt like that play was the unceremonious end to the entire match. Um, you know, as we look into the third set, you know, Daniel Mevedo was able to win 6-3. Not that close, but still nice effort by Hercatch. I feel like there was an early break in that third set that really swung things in, into Mevedev's way. Uh, fourth set, it was neck and neck, neck and neck. Uh, but again, her catch was just able to get it at the end of it. So kudos to him. But again, in that fifth set, when it was 4-3 Daniel Medvedev, I felt like, as I've said before, that was the unceremonious end for that match. I mean, her, um, Daniel was just able to really take command of that fifth and final set and do so in ways in which I didn't really see possible beforehand. Uh, again, this was a different style of play from Medvedev. Uh, her catch as well. I felt as if when you see two counter punchers go after it, one of them has to change. Uh, both of them did end up changing their style of play part in parts of the match. For Medvedev, it was more apparent and more so than, say, her catch. I felt as if uh, Medvedev was more aggressive at times compared to her catch. But that doesn't mean that her catch wasn't also aggressive. You know, that just comes with the with the game plans of both counterpunchers. You know, eventually, one of them has to go to the net. And those who go to the net early and often and are able to set an example of how aggressive they can be at the net more often than not those are the players that will win um and that was very much so the case for this match you know again when you think about again when you just think about counter punchers you know it's 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 very much a very methodical way of playing you know i think there was a post-match interview that I think Chris Connell or, or someone someone from the Austrian Open tennis team did with Medvedev in terms of breaking down how they return serve. And that was a very eye-opening segment that I had on on in the match back in the fourth round because it really showed you sort of the X's and O's of what goes down in tennis. And I felt like it was very eye-opening because usually when it comes to post-match interviews, it's often how what were your thoughts heading to this match? What are your thoughts about your opponent? What are you looking for in the next round? But they really did a great job at breaking down the importance of returning serve. And Medvedev, more so than anyone else, not just in the Australian Open, but just 
overall in tennis in general. I feel like Medvedev is such a technician when it comes to breaking serve and being able to return serve that the fact that they interviewed him about it, I thought that really spoke volumes about the importance of Medvedev's play and more importantly, the importance of letting making sure that the casual viewer at home understands the importance of returning serve. And I think a lot of times when we think about segments at sports, you know, that often goes unnoticed, you know? I mean, when was the last time you saw, you know, basketball analyst, basketball analyst you know, break down a play? You know, I mean, the only person that really does it is probably J.J. Redick on his podcast, but only on his podcast. It's never, like, on a, on an ESPN set. Uh, I, I don't remember the last time J.J. Redick was on first take. Maybe I'm... I know, I know I'm going all over with this discussion, but just hear me out. You know, I, I feel as if... And a lot of times, in a lot of ways, you know, that often does go unnoticed and it doesn't really get brought up, especially when it comes to the more popular sports. So it's nice to see, you know, somebody break it down. But anyways, going back to this match, I know I just spent an entire, I I know I just felt, I just went into this entire crescendo about something that was very insignificant, but anyways, going back to the match, uh, both players, I felt like they had to go out of the comfort zone to pick up wins and you saw that in that fifth set for Meveda but honestly it was a running theme throughout this entire match for both players both players had to essentially do their best to make sure that they could win this match and again while it was at times while there were times where both those players were able to go to the net when need be Again, the thing with counterpunchers is that they just aren't aggressive enough. And I thought as if at times there were times where rallies were just longer than they should have been. There were times where, especially in that first set, where there were times as if they were just banking on the other player to make mistakes and unforced errors. And in this match, that's not going to be the case. You know, if you're banking on an, on your fellow counterpuncher to make an unforced error, you're going to be hitting a backboard heading against the wall for quite some time. You know, playing against a counterpuncher when you yourself are a counterpuncher is essentially that wall you play up where you just hit your tennis ball against the wall and seeing if the wall make a mistake. No, the wall is undefeated. That's what's going to happen. Um, so overall, a lot of, lot of long rallies. Uh, there were times where both players did go to the net when need be. And there were times where both players were aggressive, but not to the extent where you came out of it where you're like, oh, that was an entirely different playing style that allowed him to do it. Uh, usually, it's, this is just like a one-off instance. And hopefully, we can see more of this play by Medvedev because, again, he's going to need it when he plays against Alcaraz. I mean, let's just look at this, uh, the score for Alcaraz there right now. Uh, I'm doing this slide right now. 6-1, 6 is beating Alcaraz. All right. I originally said Alcaraz would win in four sets. It looks like that prediction will be uh, will be gone, uh, will be will be will be false. If Zverev does win, which again I don't know if that'll be a good look for the sport, um, because of the pending uh, DA allegations that are against him and the fact that he's being brought up in court. Um, yeah, uh, that is concerning. Um, but yeah, if it is Medvedev and Zverev, if, if that is the case, I, I don't know if, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Medvedev and Zverev if they do end up playing one another. Um, if it's Medvedev and Zverev, I would say Medvedev has to be more aggressive when it comes to approaching the net and making sure that he's able to get the most out of his opponent. 
um, and making sure that his opponent make mis- makes mistakes as well. Uh, that's also going to be very, very important. But yeah, I'm very, very surprised that it's Alcaraz losing to Zverev. That is concerning. If you're a tennis fan, that should be concerning. But yeah, overall, um, hopefully Medvedev can bring it in the next round. You know, um, the drop shot at the end of the match was ballsy on his part. I did not know that Medvedev had it in him to head a drop shot. Uh, he did mention that his drop shot isn't that great and that Malcross is, is the best in the game back when he had that post-match interview uh, in the fourth round. Um, so hopefully that can happen. You know, hopefully we can see more drop shots being played under under uh, Medvedev. I'm sorry if there's, con- there's, there's, there's a lot of noise happening outside, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. My apologies. Um, it's just, yeah, my, if you're, if you're hearing like outside noise, it's, it's not pertaining to the video. It's just outside. So my apologies on that. I have no control over that. So my apologies. If you hear any outside noise bleeding into this shirt, as some 58 microphone, my apologies on that. But overall, um, this was a good match. I enjoyed my time while watching this match. I wouldn't say that this is the best match of the Austrian Open. Uh, I I would not say that in the slightest, but I will say that this was a good match to watch, a breath of fresh air, because usually seeing two counterpunchers go after one another, it, it's not, that's not that common, um, especially when you're talking about two accomplished counter, counterpunchers like Hercatch and Medvedev, who have won 81,000 titles in the past and who have seen and who have shown success at this level of play beforehand, uh, before in their careers. So, Hopefully we can see more of that happen. You know, hopefully we can see more of that happen in real time. And um, yeah, that's about it for the conversation. So um, wh- I want to know, and this is just my overall question, not not just to you, but to just to uh, tennis in general. Um, what will be the likelihood of Medvedev reaching the final? Uh, I think right now Medvedev is on a hot streak like, we, like we've never seen before. Uh, we're seeing Medvedev play at the highest level, and that's not just pertaining to this match, but in the past few matches as well, leading up to this match as well. Um, you know, we're seeing Medvedev play at the highest level. Will he he be able to reach the final on Sunday? I mean, again, it depends as to who he's playing. I mean, it depends as to who he's playing in the semifinal, uh, whether it's Zverev or, or, or Alcaraz, but I mean... It would be nice to see him play in the final on Sunday. I mean, he's had success before before with this with this major. I mean, he's reached the final and played against Nadal. I'm pretty sure he's reached the final and played against Djokovic. Um, so to see him be able to go to final Sunday and compete, I think that would be great, uh, especially considering the fact that they still take out the nationality of people that are from Russia and Belarus from their scorecard, from their blinker when it's down into the right or down into the left you know so um i don't know um i i i'm rooting for daniel as i'm rooting for every other tennis player but you know there was a story here and it will be nice to see him one day lift that trophy up you know in a lot of ways daniel medvedev when it comes to the australian open is a lot like the buffalo bills in the 90s it's a lot like the Minnesota Vikings in the 70s. It's a lot like the Boston Bruins now where they're having success. They're going to the big one. They're going to the big game, but they can't pull it off. For some reason, they just can't pull it off. Time and time again, they just can't pull it off. 
So I'm rooting for Mevita because it's nice to it's nice to see those who have lost in the past field or finally reach the final and win the final. So um, yeah, that that is what I'm hoping for in the next round. But yeah, I think that's it for tennis for today. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen for the final someday. I'll probably recap the final on Monday, uh, Tuesday, that is, when it's when it's released. Um, but yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on that match. Let's get into the next category for today and next topic for today. Uh, again, I was going to mention the New Hampshire primary, but again, there's not that much to really mention about it. Trump won pretty decidedly so as well. I'm not going to spend that much time talking. I'm not going to talk about it today. I just, I, I'm kind of gassed out of it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, t- I'm kind of tired of living in this cyclical pattern of, of just Trump, Biden, Biden, Trump, Trump, Biden, Biden, Trump. I'm just tired of it, frankly. I, I, I find it exhausting. Talking about politics is like being on a Stairmaster. It just, it's just too much, you know? So, um, yeah, no, no, no politics talk for today. Just, just no politics talk for today. We'll keep it light and loose. So we'll talk about the Oscars announcing their nominees for their categories. And there's been a few snubs, as I mentioned before in the rundown. There's been a few snubs. Um, Willem Dafoe was not nominated for Poor Things. Um, again, I got to look at the best supporting actor uh, nominees because while I did enjoy Poor Things, I think I thought it was like one of the better films of the year. Um, I don't think that it is necessarily. Um, I don't necessarily think Willem Dafoe's uh, acting should have warranted a best best actor nominee for him, uh, especially for the Oscars, right? I, I just don't think that that is the case. Um, I mean, if you look at you know best actor for for you know in a leading role, um, you have Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Obviously, Jeffrey Wright, great actor, did not watch American Fiction, so I, I can't tell you about that. Oppenheimer for Killian Murphy. Deserving link so. Uh, Coleman Domingo did not watch Rustin, so I can't say that. Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, yes, deserved. Bradley Cooper for The Maestro, absolutely. He deserves to be nominated for Best Actor. And honestly, out of these five, um, obviously the fan favorite is Killian Murphy or Jeffrey Wright. But in my personal opinion, uh, don't, don't, don't be sleeping on my boy Bradley Cooper. I feel as if Maestro... A lot of people have their issues with it, and yeah, is it pretentious? Sure. Is it an Oscar bait film? Sure. But that doesn't mean that the film sucks. The film is pretty good. So that is my dark horse for the Oscars. You know, don't sleep on the Maestro. I watched the Maestro, and I thought the movie was pretty good for what it was. Um, and again, I mean, Bradley Cooper really checked the boxes off for his role. I mean, he's in a biopic starring a gay man who's a musician. You know that is, if you want if you want an Oscar for a role, then that should warrant that. That that should allow you to get that Oscar. And the fact that he lost to Rami Malek of all people for that Oscar back in 2017, 2018, I think that that was that left a sour taste in his mouth. And he's like, okay, like I gotta make sure that I get this Oscar for this for this movie. Uh, is this the best movie that Bradley Cooper has been in? No, I still prefer. Um, other films that he's been in. I, I mean, I personally love the Hangover trilogy. I thought Bradley Cooper killed it in that movie. Um, so that's probably my favorite movie of his. Um, but yeah, overall, don't be sleeping on Maestro. Do not be sleeping on Maestro. There there are good parts in that movie. Overall, it is a good movie. It is a good movie. So um, 
Yeah, Willem Dafoe being uh, not nominated for Best Actor in Poor Things. I understand why people will be mad about that or upset by it or, or think that he got snubbed by it. I don't know if I would say that's a snub because, again, I think the, the biggest person in that movie eventually did get nominated for Best Actress, which was Emma Stone. I felt like her performance completely overshadowed everyone else's performance. And she was, just, I mean, she's one of the best actors in her generation. Emma Stone is one of the best actors in her generation. You know, you, you see it with the Nathan Fielder TV show that she's on. You saw it with La La Land. You saw it with other films that she's been a part of and that she starred in. Um, she also starred in another Yogos Lanthimos film a few years ago, The Favorite, which she did pretty well in as well. Um, yeah, overall, um, Emma Stone's one of the best actors in her generation, you know, and I, I, I think that that should not remain unnoticed. Um, so, yeah, overall, Emma Stone deserves it. Um, Willem Dafoe also, I think, deserves it as well, as well but uh, not to the extent of other actors that we, we've mentioned before. Uh, Leo DiCaprio was not nominated for Best Actor in Cause of the Flower Moon. That was a very eye-opening thing. Uh, I again, I understand it. I understand why he wasn't nominated because I feel as if you know the the the, the script, the directing really did the heavy handing in the film. Um, there was one scene in which Leo DiCaprio started crying, which immediately took me out of the film. I think I mentioned that when I watched Kills of the Flower Moon back in October, November, um, where there was a scene where Leo DiCaprio was like in a jail cell or something. And he just started com- just bawling his eyes at him, like, and I was like taken aback by how horrendous that scene was, like that, that. I that completely took me out of the movie. I know that some people were like completely in favor of that scene and they they liked it, but I looked at that and I was like, "Get me out of here!" You know, get me out of this. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. <laughs> you know, please get me out of here. Uh, that took me out of the movie. So 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 horrendously bad. Um, but yeah, overall, Leo DiCaprio nominated, not nominated for Kills of the Flower Moon. I'm not mad at that. You know, it is what it is. Um, but I think the more egregious one was Kills of the Flower Moon not being nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. How is that not nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay? I think that's the only one where people are, were mad at. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I did not watch May, December, so I can't give you my thoughts on that. Uh, there apparently... Natalie Portman was not nominated for that award, which I did not watch the movie, so I can't gauge whether or not she had a good performance or not. Uh, people were also mad that Charles Melton was not nominated for Best Actor in the movie, which, again, I did not watch the movie, so I can't give you an opinion on that. Um, but I did watch Goes of the Thought Moon. And the fact that this was not nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, I thought that was an, that, that in and of itself is an issue. Um, the way that... Martin Scorsese was able to make this screenplay and give it a harsh and serious vibe to it was impeccable. And the fact that he was able to, you know, write the screenplay with another person of his who he's close with uh, business-wise, the fact that he was able to do that and, and do so do it with with so so much taste and elegance to the script and, and without c- coming off as being hateful or, 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 you know, having this trope of, you know, it then being gravitated to how pious or how great, you know, the white savior is in the film. The fact that he was able to show it for what it truly was shows you why Scorsese is one of the best directors working today. In my opinion, when when it's all said and done, he will be viewed as the best director to ever be to ever be in Hollywood. 
and rightfully so. I mean, there's so many great films that he's made that that warrant that discourse and discussion. Uh, so the fact that Kills of the Flower Moon was not nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, that was crazy to me. Um, now, the biggest thing that the internet got mad at in terms of the Oscars announcing their nominees was that Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress. And a lot of people on Twitter were saying that this was an anti-woman move and that this is hateful to women, the fact that Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress. I'm like, you do realize that it's the Best Actress category. It's only women being nominated for this award. <laughs> like, how can you sit here and say that this is like an anti-woman thing? O Olivia Gladstone got nom nominated for this award. I think that's her name. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that's the main actress's name for um, for Kills of the Flower Moon. But Lily Gladstone. Lily Gladstone got nominated for this award. How I mean... How can you say it's anti-woman? Emma Stone, I thought, I think, deserves the Oscar for for her role in Poor Things. I thought that was an amazing role for, by her. Uh, definitely one of the best in her career, and shows you why she's one of the best act actors working today. Um, but yeah, I mean, just because not Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress, that that's that's not a bad thing. The movie grossed nearly a billion dollars in the box office, probably more. I think over a billion. It does. I mean, it got its it's it's gotten its love, it's gotten its appreciation, just because it's not being nominated for an Oscar, or to the extent that you think it's warranted to be nominated for an Oscar, or to the point where you think it should be enough, that doesn't mean that they snubbed it. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, people thought that Margot Robbie not being nominated for Best Actress was a, was a, was a snub, and it's like, what did Margot Robbie do in the movie that made you think that that was an Oscar-worthy performance? Again, as I mentioned before in the rundown, Margot Robbie is very talented as an actor, right? But I do feel as if a lot of her performances, and this is not a criticism, this is just an observation, I feel as if a lot of her performances are quite one-note. It's quite one-dimensional. You know, there's very little differentiation between her role in Barbie versus that of, say, her as Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. I look at both performances and I think to myself, it's very similar. You know, her performance in Damien Chazelle's recent movie, Babylon, to me, is very similar to her and Barbie. You know, so there is an issue with that. Uh, you Oftentimes, when I see Margot Robbie in a film, she does, she does go for that, you know, Jersey Shore, Jersey Girl accent, Brooklyn accent, if you will. And that's sort of like the running theme with her, with her performances. And again, there's no hate on that, right? I mean, obviously, you know, we all have, you know, the actors or a lot of actors where their influence is on their sleeve, right? If you look at uh, Sean Penn or a few other actors, you can see, the, you know, a De Niro influence on them. Um, other actors definitely have, I mean, if you, if you look at other actors, they may have a Jack Nicholson, you know, influence or whatnot. Um, so you can definitely tell based off their performance that, hey, they were influenced by this person or they're one dimension, not one dimensional, but they are one note and they do have an accent or type of personality that they sort of accentuate on screen and sort of, you know, lend credence to throughout the duration of their filmography. But it's hard to unnotice that. So for people saying that Margot Robbie not being nominated for Best Actress is a snub, I tend to disagree with that. I, I think that, that that was perfectly fine. Uh, again, you can't win them all. 
All right. I mean, Barbie grossed over a billion dollars, right? There's, there's, it's gone into love. It's gone into appreciation. Again, I'm saying this is a guy that was not, that did not watch Barbie, but I feel like I got a gist of it, you know? So again, like I'm not the guy to go for in terms of, uh, in terms of whether or not Margot Robbie should be nominated for this award. But again, I feel as if what we saw from her in Wolf of Wall Street a lot of her movies since then is just a variation of that. Again, I might be wrong here, you know, so if, if I am wrong, correct me on that. But I do feel as if more often than not, the roles that I see of her and the movies that she stars in is just a different variation of Wolf of Wall Street. And don't get me wrong, that's a great movie. And she did a great job in that movie. And she's done a pretty good job in other movies that she starred in as well. But again, it's just... A, a variation of that it's just it's you know it's vanilla french vanilla vanilla bean vanilla vanilla with sprinkles it's all of it has to do with vanilla and that doesn't mean that vanilla sucks obviously vanilla is the best ice cream flavor of all time it is it simply is but again it's hard to go unnoticed you know it's like you know yeah i, I was gonna say Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say alu gobi, alu budgia. It, 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 all of it has to do with potato, you know. So, not saying potato is bad, but I'm just saying that all of it is some variation of potato. So, um, Greta was not nominated for best director either, uh, which again I don't hate for that. Again, it's grossed nearly a billion dollars. You know, there are other films that that have also been nominated for best director that I think deserve it as well. I mean, Oppenheimer was nominated, which deservedly so. Um, you know, you look at Yorgos Lanthanum's Poor Things, obviously should be nominated. Um, I did not watch Anatomy of a Fall or Zone of Interest, so I can't speak on that, but Scorsese nominated for Kills of the Flower Moon. I think in this category, what I would pick or who I would pick for Best Director probably would go to um, Nolan for Oppenheimer. Um but I also wouldn't. I wouldn't mind Yorgos Lanthimos picking up the uh, a win for Poor Things. I would not mind Scorsese winning for Kills of the Flower Moon. I mean, these are some great nominees, you know. So again, I, I don't necessarily think that you know Greta Gerwig not being nominated is anti-woman. Um, obviously, there is. It, it's hard to not state that the Oscars don't really pick women for you know best director or or for any of those technical awards, which. Obviously, that's it's that is an issue, or I can understand why that would be an issue. But again, at the same time, we are talking about film here. You know, it's entirely subjective. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I will say that for Greta Gerwig, it, I mean, I I would say that she should be nominated. But again, it's based off an existing IP. Um, the movie was, and I hate to say it, but I mean, it's built off of toys, right? I mean, if if Michael Bay, or let's say, not Michael Bay, but let's say a, a critically acclaimed award-winning director makes Transformers into this art house movie or into this big budget film with an ambiguous ending and subtlety and references and just a great film that grosses a billion dollars you know let's say 
Nicholas Winding Refn makes a Transformers film, right? Just throwing that example out there. And it grosses a billion dollars and it's considered a, 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 a closer look at the issues of male fragility and the emotions and emotional vulnerability that men can take out of. Let's just say that he makes Barbie for men, right? And it grosses a billion dollars. Would I be mad if it didn't get nominated for an Oscar? No. I would not be mad because at the end of the day, it's still a great film that should be appreciated. And it, and it was appreciated if it did gross a billion dollars. So why is that the case for, for Barbie? You know, why can't you just watch a film, enjoy it? And if it gets snubbed or if it doesn't get nominated, then why throw a fit on Twitter? Why throw a fit on Twitter? You know, like why? It just makes no sense to me, right? If you really love a performance, then it's fine. Enjoy that performance. But to actually go out and be like, oh, the Oscars are sexist because, you know, Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress, even though all women were nominated for that same role. I think that that is idiotic. Um, for Greta, there is a point to it. But still, at the same time, it's film, it's subjective. And the Barbie grossed over a billion dollars. Greta Gerwig is not poor by any means. She's doing very well. And she will continue to do really well. She'll continue to get scripts thrown in her direction on a daily basis for films. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that that is um, necessarily a snub. You know, just because a billion dollar movie got snubbed at the Oscars, that doesn't mean that that in and of itself is a snub. You know, at the end of the day, I'm sure a lot of creatives are going to tell you that they would much rather have a billion dollar grossing movie than an Oscar nominated film. Because at the end of the day, money is green. Whether it's in uh, America, England, parts in, uh, parts of Asia, Africa, at the end of the day, money is green. And I'm sure for every person that's making a movie, they would much rather have a billion dollar grossing movie like Barbie than say they're cool little art house films that may break 20 million at the box office with a four or five million dollar budget which again that's a good thing right that that's awesome that that's nice 15 million dollar profit out of it that's awesome but again at the end of the day what matters is getting people to watch your film you know again if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it doesn't make a sound it's the same thing with movies you know so um Again, just because Barbie wasn't nominated as much as it should have been compared to these people on Twitter, that doesn't mean that it got snubbed. I mean, it still got nominated in other awards, and that's also important. I think it also got nominated for, like, Best Original Song or whatnot uh, with I'm Just Ken, which, again, talk about a song that does not deserve to get an award. I mean, it's a meme song, right? Like, I'm pretty sure Pete Davidson did, like, a, a satirization of the song on SNL, and what she talks about his own personal life called I'm just Pete, which I mean, it's the same. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that sketch, you know, because it's hard to satirize something that already is satirical in nature. You know, that's why Trump impressions, Trump impersonations, to me, they're not that funny because it's hard to satirize something that already knows it's a satirization. It's hard to make a joke about something knowing fully well that the person that you're making a joke about is in on the joke, you know? And when the person that you're making fun of is funnier than you, you know? That also is an issue. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I don't know why I went on this long-winded rant about Trump impersonations and why I hate Trump impersonations, but that that's you you, you catch my drift here, right? Where I do feel as if there are times where you see certain things in media, whether it's in film, television, where you're like, okay, like obviously, like this is a joke, this is all fun and games, it's just a rib, but it shouldn't be nominated. Like I'm just Ken should not be nominated. That that in and of itself, that's one thing where I'm like, okay, that that should not be nominated. Put in John Williams again, like put in John Williams' score for for best original song. I don't I don't care. I don't I don't even care if it fits the award. You know, just put John Williams in there. Show some validity to it. You know, <laughs> show some validity to the awards. You know, don't make I'm just Ken in there. It it, it it just I don't know. I I feel as if the song was just there to make it more camp, make the vibes more fun. It's It should not be taken seriously. The fact that it's being nominated for awards. I mean, there was a, uh, an award show where uh, maybe it was the SAG Awards or the Gotham Awards. I don't remember or recall the Spirit Awards. I don't recall the award show, but um, it was for Best Original Song, and I'm just kind of one. And Ryan Gosling's face, when the camera panned to his face and his reaction to I'm just kind of winning, was that of perplexion it was that of a guy that was deeply troubled by the fact that his song won he, he was uh, if, if i if i could if i could just do you like an example of how he looked and if you're watching on youtube this is a great example he like when i'm just ken one and and the award goes to i'm just ken ryan glossing's face was like this if you're watching on youtube It was ex- it was exactly that where like where you're like yeah that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I'm sorry for the ear damage that this caused. By the way, if I move this, my apologies on that. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of outside noise happening, so my apologies on all of that. Uh, but yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on the Oscars announcing the nominees for their categories. A few snubs and a few movies that I did not watch. Anatomy of a Fall, I did not watch. The Zone of Interest, I did not watch. I think the Zone of Interest seems kind of Oscar bait sell. I'm not really anticipating that movie. Uh, May, December, I did not watch either, but I hear it's really good. Nathan Long mentioned to, mentioned to me that it's a really good movie, so again, I, I got I to gotta watch the movie. But um, yeah, that's it for the combo. Um, no New Hampshire primary talk for today. I'm happy. All right. Um, let's get into our final talk for today. And that is Bobby Lee on Joe Rogan's podcast. If you guys don't know, Bobby Lee appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast. They sat down for two hours and 15 minutes, which honestly, not that long of a time for me personally. I would much rather watch them do it along a lot more, but Hey, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, they talked about several things, several things that I thought were interesting as a comedian. They talked about, one thing that I found very interesting, which was Bobby Lee not trying out new material, especially in the comedy store when he has to perform on weekends. Uh, he mentioned to Rogan that when it's like nine, when it's a 9 p.m. show and when the comedy store is filled up and when it's when the OR in the main room are filled with comics that aren't really touring, he often feels as if he needs to say his best material to make sure that the paying audience feels happy. Or feels as if, as if it's a bang for their buck. And a lot of times I feel the same way. Now obviously I don't have that much material compared to Bobby Lee. Um, 
you know, again, I'm, I'm still trying to work out some new jokes and whatnot, but you know, there are times where, especially when you're on a show, you feel as if you got to give your best material out there. And that should be the case, but at the same time, you should also work on new material as well. And I think that was very telling because what I gathered from that clip is no matter where you are at in comedy, you could be an open micer, you could be a feature act, you could be a headliner doing theaters and, and, and clubs like Bobby Lee does. You know, at the end of the day, there are still issues that we all face. And that is trying on new material, being afraid of trying on new material, especially on shows when people are paying you to do your best material. Um, you know, it can be difficult uh, to try new material. So the fact that he was able to really talk about it with Joe Rogan, and the fact that Joe Rogan helped him out by saying, hey, it's nice that you're having a new joke night every Tuesday at the store. It's great that, you know, you're, you're here, out here in Austin so you can be able to try your new jokes at the mothership. Uh, I mean, I thought it was nice. It was a great sort of discussion right there. Um, they, also, they also talked about trying jokes out in different clubs, you know, especially out in L.A. with Ice House in, in Pasadena, the Flappers Comedy Club, which I've, I've never been to, but I hear nothing but uh, uh, good things about that club. Um, I don't know if Bobby Lee still does the Laugh Factory. I don't know. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Um, I saw Matthew Broussard on a lineup for Laugh Factory last Friday. I think he was performing with Dane Cook in L.A., and I love Matthew Broussard. I think Matthew Broussard is a very underrated comedian. Definitely go listen to Pedantic on Spotify. It's a great comedy album. Um, so I don't know why I mentioned that, but I just thought it would be necessary for it in this discussion. Uh, Laugh Factory does have some good comics. I know back in the day there was like this like uh, stereotype, oh, he's a Laugh Factory comic. But there's some good comics at the Laugh Factory. You know, there are. You know, it's it's not just all, you know ripped shredded out guys with you know that dress 20 years younger than they actually are you know that's not a dig at anybody but you know when you think about a laugh factory comic that's what you usually think of uh but again there are funny comics at the laugh factory you know matthew broussard's one of them so um yeah anyways they also talked about you know bobby lee moving to austin which i felt like was kind of like the drier part of the of the discussion because then Rogan moved on to talking about the COVID, about COVID and the back, about the vaccine and about, you know, how Gavin Newsom ruined the state of California and how all businesses were shut down. I'm like, okay, like, where, are we really going back into this discussion? Like, are we really going back, back into this discussion? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it's fine to talk about it back when it was important to talk about it back when it was 2020, 2021, early parts of 2022. But it's been two, three years since then. Can we move on? You know, like, can we, is, do we really need to d discuss COVID that, that much? I don't know. I mean, I like Rogan, right? I think Rogan's great. I like the mothership. I think what he's doing in Austin is amazing. And all, honestly, his move to Austin was a net positive for that scene. It just is. So many people are now going to Austin because of Joe Rogan's name alone. So many comedians are upending their lives to move to Pflugerville, Texas, just so they can go to the open mic at the Comedy Mothership. Do you know how baffling that is? Do you know how crazy that is? People just completely changing their entire life just because a billionaire decided to move to Austin? That's crazy. Um, but again, we're in 2024 now. I don't want to hear the same talk about COVID and the vaccine in 2024. Anybody that's still doing the same song and dance about COVID and the vaccine and about all that, I, I, for one, for me personally, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of it. 
Like, I don't know about you, but it's kind of tiresome. And don't get me wrong, like, I, back in the day, like, when I first started this podcast, I had my reservations about certain things, you know? I had questions, too, and it's, it's important to ask these questions. But at the same time, like, I feel as if you're just shooting fish in a barrel. You're beating on a dead horse, you know? And I don't know. I, I just find it to be pedantic to, to listen to. Uh, I know I just used that word, but I feel it's also quite appropriate to use that word in this instance as well um but yeah uh he also discussed bobby lee also discussed about hollywood rejection stories um i think at one point in the interview someone like a casting director or director in general like referred uh to bobby through a racial epithet which i thought was crazy to see uh, there was a moment in the interview where Bobby Lee talked about how he was auditioning and how at one point the audition was going so badly that the casting director decided to bring everybody in the room together, make a circle around him, point at him and say, you are the worst actor I've ever seen and made him repeat that as well. And the entire circle had to like say that to Bobby Lee. Like it was, it, it's... Hollywood is very dark. Like I, I, what, what, I, what I can gather from this is that the fact that Bobby Lee, of all people, is not finding success in Hollywood, or to him, not finding success in Hollywood, is, is quite concerning. That, that's quite baffling to me. Uh, obviously, people may have their reservations about that. Maybe people have their issues with it, or maybe Bobby Lee being on podcasts is too much for some people. But, I mean, Bobby Lee is genuinely a funny guy. Like that guy should not ha- have to f- have to worry about not getting roles in Hollywood. Like he should not have to worry about that. He's very funny. He's great. Um, yeah, I mean, doesn't I've yet to meet a person that's that said that they've had a bad experience with Bobby Lee. You know, and a lot of times, like in comedy, that's very rare. You know, like you'll you'll see, you know, a guy. I mean, there's I mean, there's this one comic that I know, very big comic who is a dick to the wait staff. You know, he's a dick to the wait staff. You know, he's horrendous. I mean, and this is like a national headliner, by the way. This is not just like a random guy that, you know, does Nick's comedy stop on a, on, on a summer or Sunday or Saturday, sorry. You know, this is not like one of those comics. This is like a national, and that's not a dick to, if any comic that's listening to this in Boston that thinks that's a dick, that's not a dick, okay? I'm, I'm being very confessional here. Um... This is a national headliner. You know, there are horror sto- there are horror stories about comics that I've known that I that I know that obviously it's not my story to tell, so I won't say it. But there are comics that have been dicks to the waitstaff. There are comics that I know that I've heard of, and again, this is all hearsay, so who knows about the validity to it? But again, it's been corroborated by other people that are are a dick to their openers and and are unpleasant or or don't pay their openers well or or um you know just treat people that aren't in their circle with complete disrespect and it's like you don't hear that from bobby lee so that is a testament to his character that's a testament to who he is and this is long awaited you know, this has been long awaited. I mean, I'm, I've been a fan of Bobby Lee for quite some time now. I like Tiger Belly still. I mean, there are times where it can be draining. I mean, I listened to that recent episode where Leslie Jones appeared on Tiger Belly. I'm like, okay, this is God boring to watch. This is 
horrendous to watch. I, I stopped watching like 15 minutes and I'm like, I can't listen to this. This is just, it's just so much like self victimization and so much self hate and so much of, I should bump other comics at the Laugh Factory and at the store because I'm Leslie Jones. I'm like, to think that anybody would, would view Leslie Jones in the same vein as, say, a Chappelle or Chris Rock is maddening. It's maddening, I tell you. Um, but this was long awaited. You know, I, I we waited a long. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Lee maniacs, the 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 Ling Dynasty maniacs, like myself. I don't I don't know why I said Ling Dynasty maniacs like myself. I don't think that's part of his uh, uh, name of uh, the of his fandom. But you know, we're, I'm a fan of the Slept King himself. You know, I I like Bobby Lee. You know, I'm a big fan of of uh, Bobby Lee. So this was long awaited. It was nice to hear from him. Um, I can tell that Bobby Lee at a point wanted to steer away from, you know, the usual COVID talk and the vaccine talk and, you know, how the left has gone loony and the right has gone crazy. And it's important that, you know, we stick in the middle and, you know, the, now I'm in the middle because of how loony the left is and how, how wrong the right is, you know, I, I'm, I'm just tired of that talk, you know, it's kind of, kind of too much, you know, it, it, it's just draining, you know, it, just hearing the same convos like in like day in and day out and this is not a dig on rogan it's just in general with like comic with podcasts that are in that ilk it, it can get draining at times just hearing the same thing being talked about day in and day out about things that have been long been discussed two three years before you know but yeah overall i liked it it was a funny episode um and that's about it uh go watch bobby leon rogan uh you will not be mistaken and other than that guys i think that's it for the podcast for today guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening make sure you guys like subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below make sure you follow me on my twitter my instagram my tiktok uh at aj tucker a-j-a-y-t-h-a-k-k-a-r underscore the end make sure you give a five-star review on itunes and spotify that'd be greatly appreciated um and if you can if you can make sure you uh spread it through your word of, through word of mouth and to you through your text chains to get more and more people involved and invest in this podcast is a great sight to see uh i'll be back on tuesday we'll talk more about the final about the australian open in both the men's and hopefully the women's side of things i i do want to talk about the women's side of things as well uh if diana yesterday wins it'll be very difficult to talk about it, but I'll try my best. Um, and other than that, guys, enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family and friends. Avoid the bookings. And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.